Good morning. My greatest fear was that this thing would come on while I was still singing. Uh, and it would not have been a blessing to anyone if that would have happened. Uh, welcome to First Baptist Thibodeau. Uh, my name is Luke Setatow. I serve here at the church. Um, I consider it a privilege and an honor to come and preach God's word to you this morning. Um, whether you're a member or whether you're a guest here this morning, I hope you find great joy in gathering with the people of God on a Sunday morning, and I hope you'll be encouraged. This morning, we're going to wrap up a four-part series we're doing called Church Matters. Uh, the first sermon was on why should we participate in the ordinances of the local church, where we talked about baptism and the Lord's Supper. The second sermon was on why should we covenant with the local church, which Kevin did. And last week, Jerry Revet preached on why should we serve in our local church. Uh, and this morning, we're going to wrap that up with the first, fourth sermon in the series called Why Should I Give to My Local Church? And I hope along the way that you've been encouraged and challenged and equipped by the preaching of God's word. And I hope that today we'll do the same as well. Um, so let's pray together as we get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thankful God for the opportunity we have to gather together as your people. Um, God, I pray this morning that you would help me to, to preach your words, God, that every word that comes out of my mouth would be rooted in your word. Um, and God, that you would sanctify us this morning. Um, Jesus said, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. And God, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that we would be sanctified. And I pray, Father, that... As we think about this series on church matters, help us not to walk away and think, man, we heard some good sermons, um, but help us to walk away and think, man, we serve a great God, a God who has given us a great, a great gift through his grace in the local church. Give us a great passion for it, a great desire to be part of it, and to glorify you in it. We ask all this in Christ's name, the only name that we can come. Amen. <clears throat> So this morning, we're going to be talking about money. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about money. For example, it teaches us to be wise with our money. It teaches us to save for the future, to pay our debtors, to not steal, to avoid greed, to be content with what we have, to be ethical and not cheat others, to work hard to obtain money and not be lazy, and to provide for our families. It teaches us all of this and really much more. And so we're, we're not going to have time today to touch on everything the Bible says about money. Um, today we're going to talk specifically about giving and even more specifically about giving to the local church. So I don't want you to think walking away from this sermon that this is all the Bible has to say about money and you go and give away everything you have. Um, that's certainly not the application to the sermon. The Bible teaches us a lot about money and a lot about how to be wise with our finances. And so today we'll talk about giving. And so the goal this morning is certainly not to manipulate you uh, or to make you feel guilted into giving money to the local church. Uh, we see very clearly from Scripture that that is not what God wants to motivate any of our giving. <clears throat> in fact, uh, you would, I think you would agree that one of the greatest dangers that we face in our culture 
is so-called pastors and church leaders who are coercing us to give to their ministries, right? They're telling us, if you give to our ministry, you'll be healthy. If you give to our ministry, you'll be wealthy. If you give to our ministry, God is going to bless your life. Um, it's a great danger that we face, and that is unbiblical. That is anti-biblical. As a matter of fact, we can call it what it is. It's heresy. Um, it is not the gospel. Uh, it is the opposite of the gospel. Um, and so I have no intention of trying to coerce you into giving money to the church this morning. Our goal is to simply look at what the Bible teaches us about giving. And the scriptures that we're going to look at are really meant to help us have a biblical view on what our giving should be. And so while the goal is not certainly not to pressure you into give to the local church, the goal is to persuade you based on God's word that as a Christian, uh, we should be generous givers as believers. Additionally, we are talking about money today uh, just so that we have an increased budget uh, at the church. Um, but what we'll find is that giving is good for our heart as believers. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. God has designed our hearts to find great joy in our giving. However, this is often a struggle for believers because money has taken hold of our hearts and it has become an idol. Now, the Bible also gives us a clear picture about giving regularly to the local church. And, and I'm going to get to that point toward the end of the sermon. Uh, but first, we really need to get a, a biblical understanding of our wealth and a biblical understanding of what giving should look like. And so we're going to look at a few passages of scripture to help us there. But let me encourage you on the front end. God does not need your money. He doesn't. He doesn't need my money. He is the creator of all things. All things belong to him. Listen to the words of God in Psalm chapter 50 verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and everything it contains. Listen, God does not need our money, but God wants our hearts. And what we do with our money reflects the condition of our heart. In Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he makes a very good comment regarding the connection between our money and our heart. Here's what he says. Because we invest most of our days working in exchange for money, in a very real sense, our money represents us. Therefore, how we use it reveals who we are. For it manifests our priorities, our values, and our heart. It's a very good comment. Our money certainly represents us. I was talking to uh, my boss at work, and he was working with uh, a lady whose husband had passed away, and she asked him to review the bank statements. And Robert said to me, said to me at lunch this week, I said, oh, Robert, you gave me an illustration. <clears throat> he said, I can tell you everything about this man. I said, how? He said, because I'm looking at his bank statements. He said, and I can see where he spends his money. And it reveals who he is, right? It certainly reveals a lot about us. And so Donald Whitney's quote is a great quote. And so this morning, the way we're going to approach this is in three points. Uh, we're going to look first at the dangers of wealth. We're going to look second at a heart of biblical giving. And then third, we're going to answer the question, why should I give to the local church? And so the first two points, 
are really meant to give us a doctrinal understanding of what the Bible teaches us about wealth and what the Bible teaches us about giving. And the last point is really the practical outworking of that, right? And that's how it should work, right? As we place our faith in what the Bible teaches us as truth, that should produce in us obedience or a change of action in our lives. And so that's how we're going to walk through it this morning. And so the first point is this, the dangers of wealth. You know, the Bible paints a very clear picture for us that there are dangers in being wealthy. And now, before we start to think, well, that's not me, um, I'm not wealthy, <clears throat> I want to remind you that we live in one of the most prosperous countries in the world. In fact, we live in one of the most prosperous countries in the history of the world. Um, and so, we are wealthy by the world's standards. <clears throat> we may not often feel wealthy. Uh, especially when we start comparing ourselves to other people in our culture. But we can rest assured we are indeed wealthy. And so when the Bible gives us warnings about wealth, we have to be careful that we don't exclude ourselves and say, well, that's not for me. I'm not wealthy. Uh, but we should include ourselves in these warnings and understand that these apply to us. I would say most of us in this room as Americans are a wealthy group of people. David Platt had a very helpful quote here. <clears throat> he said, it's helpful for us to realize that if we have clean water, sufficient food and clothes, a roof over our heads at night, access to medicine, a mode of transportation, even if it's public, and the ability to read a book, then relative to billions of people in the world, we are incredibly wealthy. And David Platt is right. Um, and most of us have those things. Indeed, as Americans, we are wealthy. And the Bible does not teach us that having wealth is a sin. It uh, doesn't teach us that money is a sin. However, the Bible does have a lot to say about the dangers of wealth and the dangers of pursuing wealth. Uh, it's very easy for us to think about our wealth as very simply as just a blessing from God. Um, but we have to understand, and one of the things the Bible helps us see, is that our wealth can also be an obstacle to following Christ faithfully. It can be. It can prevent us from following Christ like we should. And so there are two dangers I want us to see as it relates to our wealth. The first is to love our money more than we love Christ. And the second is to give our money, but to give our money with the wrong motives. So the first danger we see it is the danger of loving our money more than Christ. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open up to the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to pick up in verse 17. This is a story about Jesus' interaction with a rich man. And Christ himself in this story expresses the danger of wealth uh, to this, to his disciples and in turn to us as well. And there are some other insights here. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Speaking of Christ, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. 
Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. So what's this story teaching us? First, this man thought that by keeping the law, he had earned himself eternal life, right? He certainly believed in a works-based salvation. He says, I've kept all these things from my youth. And he thought, if I do what I'm supposed to do in this life, then in the end, I will have eternal life, right? What the rich man didn't know is that Jesus was not just looking at the man's outward actions. Um, Jesus could see the man's heart. And when the Bible speaks about the heart, and it uses the heart often, uh, it is speaking about the control center of someone's life. John MacArthur gives us a good definition that I think will be helpful, uh, especially as it relates to the rest of the sermon. Here's what he says. He says, the heart, as the Bible describes it, drives everything about us. It speaks of the central part of a person, that point where the emotions, reasonings, spiritual instincts, and God conscious is. Indeed, it's the control center of who we are. It's who we truly are. And Jesus knew that this man had a heart problem. And Jesus went straight to that problem. And the way he exposes the problem is by telling the man one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but this certainly seems a little bit intense, right, at first. Uh, When we read this, we think, wow, that's a pretty strong thing to ask this man to do, to go and sell everything he owns. But the text helps us to see uh, Jesus' motive behind telling him this. Look at verse 21. It says that as Jesus said these words to him, he showed love to him. The most loving thing Jesus could do for this man was to deal with this man's heart. And that's exactly what he does. Out of love, he told this man, there is something way better than earthly treasure. There is something way better than what this world is offering you, than your possessions. You can make an eternal investment. And that's what he tells them. And the sad part of the story is really that the the rich man walks away, and he walks away sad. He walks away grieving because he was very wealthy. And and the truth is, he loved his wealth uh, more than he loved Christ. And then Jesus turns to his disciples And he says these words, and listen carefully to them, church, because these words ought to shake us at our core. He says, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And what we see here from the words of Christ is that our love of money and our love of possessions can be a great barrier to following him. And it's not only Jesus that taught this. As we read through the New Testament, we see the other writers mention this as well. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, he says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In this passage, Paul isn't even talking about being rich. 
He's just talking about the desire to be rich. And the words he uses shows us that there is a great danger in loving our money. He describes it as a trap, a trap that leads to ruin, a trap that leads to destruction. He even goes on to say, some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So listen carefully to the words of Paul. And if you're taking notes, write this down. A heart that loves money leads to destruction. And the New Testament wants us to see that clearly. It's not only Jesus and it's not only Paul who has something to say about it. Let's look at what James had to say. James chapter 5 verses 1 through 3. James says, come now you rich people, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will serve as a testimony against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. James also helps us to see that a life that is consumed with gaining riches and with loving money leads to destruction. Storing up treasures here on this earth church is foolish. It's foolish. Riches will rot away and they will corrode. And the New Testament writers echo this danger together. You know why? Because it's important. And they want us to see it clearly that riches will not last and it is foolish for us to invest all we have in what the world offers. And so we have a clear understanding that there is a danger in wealth. And that danger is to love our money and wealth more than we love Christ. And it's a danger that we all face, right? Our hearts are inclined to it, to put our hope in it, to put our trust in it, to believe that because we have it, everything's going to be okay. Right? And we live in a culture, right? Our culture all around us is telling us the more money you have, the more happy you'll be. The more joy you'll have, you'll be comfortable, right? Everything in your life would be fixed if you had more money, right? If you were wealthier. But that is contrary to what God's Word teaches us. We understand that being wealthy can be and is a great hazard. And all of that begs the question, so what should we do? Um, How can we know if we love our money more than we love Christ? And thankfully, Jesus helps us here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen carefully. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, our hearts naturally follow our treasure. They do. And if we live and give in a way that most of our treasure will be waiting for us in heaven, then our heart will be there also. Listen to the challenging words of author Jamie Dunlop. He says, Laying up treasure in heaven is one of the main arguments for why we should give. It protects our hearts from becoming attached to the things of the world. In fact, this connection between our hearts and treasure works in two directions. Your heart will follow your treasure, but in addition, the condition of your heart reveals your treasure. If you're a Christian, you should be living so that if heaven turns out not to be real, your life will have been an utter failure, a calamity. Your calling is to put all of your eggs in one basket. 
the basket of Jesus' promise, and you'll know how well you are doing by looking at your heart. It's challenging. It's challenging for me as well. One way to guard our hearts from the love of money and possessions, church, is very clear, to lay up our treasure in heaven. Not to hoard what we have for our own benefit and for our own comfort and for our own pleasure, but to give what we have to advance the kingdom of God, to invest what we have in an eternal treasure. So the first danger of wealth is to love that wealth more than we love Christ. But there's another danger also, and that is to give some of our wealth, but to give that wealth with the wrong motives. Our giving can be out of guilt. Our giving can be out of uh, obligation or maybe just because we randomly see a need or our giving can be because we want to earn favor with God, right? We want to ex- him to accept us based on our gift. And all of these are the wrong motives. Listen carefully to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. Paul says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul says, if we give everything we have away, and there is no love, if the motives aren't right, there is no profit. The value of our gift church is not measured on the size of the need that we meet. It is measured in God's eyes on whether or not that gift is motivated by love. A love for God and a love for people. Giving for the wrong reasons has no value in the eyes of God. And so giving matters, and we should give, but motives also matter. So here's what we've considered thus far. There is an inerrant danger in having wealth The danger we face is that we are inclined to love our wealth, to put our hope in it. The way to avoid that pitfall is to check our hearts. And the way to check our hearts is to see where are we laying up our treasure. Are we hoarding what we have for our own advantage, our own happiness, our own comfort? Or are we investing in the kingdom of God by giving towards his work? And when we do give, are we giving with the right motives. And, and all of this really begs the question, doesn't it? Uh, how can we guard our hearts against loving money? Um, how can we give biblically? How can we give correctly? And thankfully, the Bible helps us here. So point number one, the dangers of wealth. Point number two, the heart of biblical giving. The way to guide and guard our hearts into biblical giving is to place our faith in what the Bible teaches us about wealth and about giving. In other words, there are some biblical truths that we need to know if we're going to develop a heart for biblical giving. So I'm going to give you some biblical realities, but before we get there, I want to read Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Here's what it says. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The truth is, God doesn't just love a giver. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver. 
Humanitarian organizations like the Red Cross and the United Way, they do not care one lick as to what motivates your giving. But God cares deeply about why we give. <clears throat> if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write this down. Giving out of mere obligation shows how obedient we are, while giving with joy brings glory to God. And when we joyfully give our money to follow Christ, it declares how worthy he is. So motives matter. So let me give you some biblical realities to help guard and guide your heart into biblical giving. Biblical reality number one, if you're taking notes, wealth is fleeting. Wealth is fleeting. As I mentioned earlier, God does not need our resources, right? He wants us to be givers because he wants our hearts. And this is just like the rich man. It's all motivated by his love for us. He loves us enough to help us see clearly in Scripture that wealth is fleeting, that it will not last. He doesn't want us to give our heart to something as foolish as that. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Stop dwelling on it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. The author of Proverbs help us, helps us to see wealth is not going to last. It's like an eagle. It flies away. Before we have it in our hands, it's gone a lot of times. Jamie Dunlop made another really good comment here. He said, God asks you to give because he wants your heart. He wants your desires and dreams and affections and ambitions to be built on him and his promises, not on the things of this world that will surely disappoint and disappear. Do you see how loving that is? Amen, Jamie Dunlop. We do. We see how loving it is for our creator to help us see clearly that wealth is fleeting. So if you want to guide and guard your heart into biblical giving, the first reality we need to see from Scripture is that wealth is fleeting. The second thing we need to know is that all we have belongs to God. God has never been down due to lack of money. It's never happened. He created all things. All things are his. Even the money that we are giving him, guess what? It's his. He owns it. He owns all things. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? Sometimes one of the greatest hindrances to cheerful giving is not believing this reality, isn't it? <clears throat> the way to give cheerfully is to understand that all we have is a gift from God. The money that was given to us was given to us by him, and it is his. We are only stewards of that money, and we have a responsibility to invest that money in his kingdom. And listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I think this is, this is maybe the heart of the sermon, if I had to say that, or maybe the climax of the sermon. Because I do think this, and, and I can relate to this in my own life, I do think one of the greatest hindrances to biblical giving is not re recognizing the fact that all we have belongs to God. And what happens is we ask the wrong question. The question we ask is, how much of my money should I give to God? That's not a biblical question. The question we should ask is how much of God's money should I keep for me? That question has a biblical perspective, the perspective that we are only stewards of the money that God has given 
to us. And so if we're going to guard and guide our hearts into biblical giving, we have to understand that wealth is fleeting and that all we have belongs to God. Biblical reality number three, we have to see the depths of God's generosity that he gave to us in his son, Jesus. If you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to read along with me. If we're going to give with a cheerful heart, we really have to understand what God has done for us in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times, to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance to the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. There may be no greater passage of scripture in the Bible that explains the depths of the riches of God's grace that he has given to us through his son. Every spiritual blessing chose us, predestined us, redeemed us, forgave us, made known to us the mystery of his will, gave us an inheritance, sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. These are the depths of the riches that God has given us in Christ. He has given us the greatest gift uh, in his son. And he has met our greatest need. And he has blessed us way beyond we ever could have imagined and certainly way beyond we ever would have deserved and everything else he gives us is meant for us to use in response to his giving and this is how we can be biblical in our giving right god doesn't send us a bill right you're not getting a bill in the mail from god Um, god wants us to give not because we have to he wants us to give because we want to uh, because we recognize what he has given us in his son and it produces in us a great love for him not out of duty or to gain God's favor, or under compulsion, or begrudgingly, but because of the grace that he has extended toward us. And as our hearts swell with an appreciation of God's grace, our hearts will swell with a desire to give as well. And so three biblical realities to help guard and guide our hearts into biblical giving. First, wealth is fleeting. Second, we, uh, all that we have belongs to God. Third, the riches of God's grace given to us in Christ. And finally, reason number four, giving is an act of worship. We really need to understand that giving is an act of worship to our God. 
the Apostle Paul is thanking the, the Christians in Philippi for supporting his ministry in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. And here's what he says. He says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you have sent, a fragrant aroma and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Here Paul says their gift to support his ministry was a fragrant aroma and an acceptable sacrifice. And what he's doing there, he's comparing their gift to the Old Testament sacrifices, right? Which were done as an act of worship to God. And so what Paul is saying that their act of giving to God's work is an act of worshiping God. Have you ever thought of giving in that way? That giving is an act of worship? An act of thanking God for his goodness, an act of praising God for his faithfulness, a way for us to express our worship to him. So a heart of biblical giving is a heart that gives cheerfully because we know from scripture that wealth is fleeting, that all we have is a gift from God. We see the depths of generosity he has given us in Christ and we view it as an act of worship. So if you want to avoid the dangers of wealth, then let these biblical realities guide and guard your heart into a life of biblical giving. And all of this brings us to the main question, right? Point number three. Why should we give to the local church? I probably need to get there, right? That's the title of the sermon. <laughs> so why should we give to the local church? Now, before, before we discuss specific reasons why we should, I think it's important that we touch on the idea of tithing. Uh, because certainly one of the most common questions we still have today is should I be tithing 10% of my income to the local church? And uh, I certainly don't have time to discuss all of those details here. Um, you know, maybe I can. Jerry said I could go 105 minutes. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna. I don't have time to discuss all of those details here, but I do want to give you a short overview about tithing. So in the Old Testament, a tithe was collected according to God's word to support God's people. Now, something for us to keep in mind when we think about the Old Testament tithe is that the, the people of Israel were not just a spiritual community. The people of Israel were also a political nation. And a lot of the tithe that they collected functioned a lot more like the taxes that we pay today. And when we read through the Old Testament, what we see is that in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, God commands that 10% of the production of the land and the livestock would be given to the Lord. And that 10%, those gifts would go to support the priests and the Levites who worked in the temple. Right? You remember the tribes of Israel, when they split up all the land, the Levites didn't get anything. They were uh, devoted to serving the Lord. And so the rest of the tribes would support the priests and Levites through giving their 10%. Then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 through 23, and we read about another tithe. This was also 10%. It was used to support the festivals and the celebrations of God's people. Then in, later on in Deuteronomy chapter 14, uh, 2014, excuse me, uh, we see that every third year uh, another tithe was taken. And this tithe was not only given to the Levites, but it was also given to the less fortunate. It was given to the widows, to the poor, to the orphan, and to the fatherless. So when we kind of put all that together, what seems to be happening is that the average tithing for God's people may have been somewhere around 23%. 
It's a lot more than 10%. And, and I'm not telling you all that so that you tithe more. Um, I'm just trying to give you a biblical picture of what tithing looked like in the Old Testament and what was actually happening there. And that 23%, if that's how we calculate it, was really just the base of their giving. When we study the Old Testament, we see that they gave first fruit offerings. They gave free will offerings. The, givings of, the giving of God's people in the Old Testament was never capped at 10%. When we read the Old Testament, we see giving everywhere in the Old Testament. And we have to ask the question, why were God's people giving this way? And David Platt helps us here. He says, he says this, he says, all these tithes and offerings had a purpose. God was training his people to put him first in their lives. Giving like this affected their perspective on everything because they were constantly reminded that the first, the best, the last, and everything in between ultimately belongs to God. God uses these tithes to provide for his people. This is how God provided for the priests and the worship life of his people. This is how God provided for the poor and for the needy. I really like what David Platt says when he says giving like this affected their perspective on everything. They give like this because it affected their hearts, even in the Old Testament. Now, all that being said, when we get to the New Testament, we find no specific command to tithe. In fact, tithing is only mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew 23. Both of those times, Jesus mentions tithing as he's rebuking uh, the religious leaders. What we see in the New Testament instead of giving a tithe is that we find examples of great giving that go way beyond that. We see greater giving in the New Testament, not less giving in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we read about believers selling all of their possessions so that they could give to those who were in need. I mean, we see great giving in the New Testament. Now, that being said, I, I don't think the principle of giving a tithe is a bad idea, especially as a, a tenth as a base starting point. In fact, when we read through church history, we do see that this was practiced in the early church. Um, we read about, uh, from Irenaeus, he talks about 10% of the income being given. Uh, later on, when we get to Augustine, he also mentions uh, a 10%. But we have to be careful here that we don't just always limit our giving to 10%. The danger is really to think that 10% of our money is God's and 90% of our money is for us. And as we've already seen, that is not biblical thinking. Uh, it is not biblical. God is not telling us that we can take 90% and do whatever we want. What God is telling us is that all the money we have, we should think deeply about it. And we should see how we can give sacrificially and generously and faithfully to his kingdom. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9:11, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so the New Testament picture is really generous giving. Uh, Paul says, enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. I think another great example is found in 2 Corinthians 8, <clears throat> where Paul is giving the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthians, who are not giving properly, as we study through Corinthians, as an example of how to give. And here's what he says. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. 
that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Paul says the Macedonians church at Corinth and church at Thibodeau are a great example. Uh, they, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They gave beyond their means, both generously and sacrificially. And Paul points to them as an example. And so we, we don't have a specific command to tithe in the New Testament. But if we do hold to a tithe, it's probably closer to 20% uh, than to 10%. But the point is really this. The point is that our giving should come from our heart. Uh, we don't, we don't want to be legalistic about our giving. Uh, instead, we want to be faithful with our money to invest it in God's kingdom and to be good stewards of what God has given us. I think a good question to ask is, what if, what if when we make more money and we get more money, our goal as believers was not to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving, to take the money that we have been given and to invest it faithfully into the kingdom of God. So now the final question, didn't think I would ever get there. Why should we give to the church? Uh, and that's a great question. Why not just support missions? Why not just support other religious organizations that are gospel-centered? Why would we have to give, or, or should we give to the local church? And before I'm going to give you four practical reasons, but before I get to those, um, I want us to consider three passages of Scripture. The first is 1 Corinthians 9.14. It says, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Now, in our context, church, uh, as our pastor is paid through the local church, um, this certainly applies to the regular members of the local church who sit underneath the preaching of God's word. Um, that's who it would apply to in our context. Similarly, Galatians 6.6, 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. If we are taught the word at our local church, then this applies to us, to me included. Also, 1 Timothy 5.17-18, the elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. This passage gives very clear instruction that a church is to pay its preacher. And all this makes it clear that we ought to be giving to our local church. In fact, I would say that this ought to be a priority in our lives as faithful members of the local church who regularly sit underneath the teaching and preaching of God's word. Except for maybe unusual circumstances where we can't give, this should be a priority for us. And so let me give you four practical reasons why we should give faithfully to the support of the local church. Reason number one. The church is an eternal investment. The church is an eternal investment. Listen, we can give to many other organizations. In fact, 
Many other organizations are constantly asking us for money, aren't they? Right, we can't even go get a sandwich at Firehouse without them wanting to round it up to the nearest dollar to give to police officers and firefighters. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just telling you, everyone is always asking us for our money. Salvation Army sitting in front of Walmart ringing the bell, right? Everyone always is asking us for money. However, they are different from the church because the church exists to advance God's kingdom and to spread the gospel. And so the church gives us an opportunity to make an eternal investment. The things of the world will pass away, but God, his word, and the souls of men will remain forever. And a biblical church is investing in those things and giving us an opportunity to make the best investment available to us. You know, Benjamin Franklin's famous for saying two things are certain, right? You know what they are? Death and taxes. We can add a third thing to that list. That is the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is eternal. Uh, and so it, by giving to the church, it gives us an opportunity to make an eternal investment. So reason number one, practically to give to the church is that it's an eternal investment. Reason number two, the local church teaches you and me. And as we've already saw uh, from God's word, we are, we are recipients of faithful preaching through our local church. Therefore, we have a responsibility based on God's word to give to our church. The faithful teaching and preaching of God's word in the local church costs something, doesn't it? And we should be investing in excellent teaching in our local church, teaching that is for us, for me included. In fact, our regular faithful giving should be to the church. Uh, we may choose to give toward other organizations or other people in need. And let me encourage you, we should. There are a lot of other biblical commands about giving to the poor and to those who need help. But that should be additional giving and sacrificial giving as well. And the reason I say that is because I don't want us to think, well, I budget my money to give to God and I do that by giving to missions, or I do that by giving to the Red Cross, or I do that by giving to Salvation Army. We don't, and, and to think, therefore, then I don't need to give to the local church. No, we have a responsibility based on God's word to support the ministry of the local church, and therefore this giving should be a priority in our lives. And in addition to giving to the church, we should give sacrificially and generously toward others, to those who are in need, and to other organizations that support kingdom work as well. Um, we should be generous givers who sacrificially give. <clears throat> and so two reasons so far why we should give to the local church. It's an eternal investment. The local church teaches you and me. Reason number three, the local church is important. The local church is important. Listen, God cares deeply about the local church. He does. Ephesians 3.10 tells us that the church is God's showpiece to reveal his glory and wisdom. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says that the church was purchased with Christ's own blood. <clears throat> and so the church is enormously significant. We often like to give to things that maybe, maybe seem more important, right? Or maybe feel more exciting to us. But let me encourage you, when we have a biblical understanding of the local church, 
of the value of the local church, of the importance of the local church, there will be an excitement to give to the local church. We need a biblical picture of how important the local church is, and it is important, and we see it all over the Word of God. So reason number three, the local church is important. And finally, reason number four, the local church is wise. The local church is wise. Now let me, exp let me explain that. <clears throat> when we give to the local church, we are really trusting and submitting to the leaders of the church to invest that money wisely, right? when we give to it. And we live in a society that's really very individualistic, right? Myself included, right? We don't want anybody telling us what to do with our money, right? Um, but that shouldn't be our attitude in the local church. Um, as we submit to and are part of a local church, our giving should be entrusted to faithful leaders who will use wisdom to invest that money eternally. And as I think even maybe more important than that, is that as the church has money to give, and the church gives, the church can give with accountability, right? Not just handing out money to meet a need, but meeting with individuals, meeting with families to help guide them through difficult times, both spiritually and financially. The church doesn't just cut a check, right? Instead, the church can go way beyond that. Um, they can minister to those in need in ways that aren't just monetary. Now, if you say to yourself, well, I don't trust the church with my money, then my question would be, then why do you trust the church with your soul? If you're part of a local church that you don't trust, you need to find another church. Um, you should trust the church. If you trust the church with your soul, which is infinitely more valuable than any dollar you ever put in that box back there, um, then you should trust it with your money as well. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that you agree with every dollar the church spends, right? That's never going to happen. Um, even the best leaders aren't perfect. But trust is required uh, in our giving to the church. And for us, especially here, there's an opportunity to express any concern you have in love and wisdom regarding our church finances, right? We vote on our church budget together. We all look at it. We all get copies of it. Every quarter at our members' meeting, we go over our church budget. We detail all of the church spending. There's open discussion and comment regarding the finances of our church. There is really nothing hidden. It's an open budget. You are part of what we decide as members uh, where we're going to spend our money. And so <clears throat> at this point, I hope we have a biblical understanding of giving and a biblical understanding of the importance of giving to our local church. And I want to look at one final passage of Scripture with you to help maybe give us some principles to help guide our giving. In other words, we really kind of answer the question, how, how can we give practically? Like, what should this look like in our day-to-day -day lives? And so we're going to consider a passage. I'll tell you on the front end, this passage is not about giving to the church. This passage is about giving to something else. But I think there are some great principles in this passage that can help guide us in our practical giving. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are to do as well. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collection needs to be made when I come. 
And so what Paul's talking about is the collection for the saints. This was a special offering that Paul was taking up that was going to go to the Christians who were suffering from famine in Jerusalem. And even though the, the offering was targeted to a very specific need, Paul instructs the Corinthians to give weekly and to set that up prior to his arrival. And it's because Paul knew that a systematic approach in giving is way more efficient and way more effective. Um, and that's why he sets it up that way. Rather than just giving haphazardly as we think we see a need, but to have a systematic approach in our giving. And obviously, maintaining the ministry of the local church is an ongoing need. Um, and systematic giving in our church helps the church as well. It helps us to meet those needs more consistently. And so I think there are three observations we can make from, from this passage. Uh, first, we see Paul says to give on the first day of every week. And so what Paul says is that your giving should be planned, um, that you should have a plan in place to give. For us, it may be every time we get paid or once a month, but there should be a plan in place for us to give systematically to the church. Second, Paul says each of you should give. So we should all give to the local church, right? We can't use the excuse that, well, I give my time, I give my talents, so I don't need to give my money. It's not biblical thinking. We are stewards of our money also, and therefore have a responsibility, each of us, to give to the church. And then finally, thirdly, um, we should give in proportion to what we have been given. Paul says, as he may prosper. So the more you prosper, the more you give. As we get a raise, as God blesses us, we have a desire to give more. As we are given more by God, we invest more in God's kingdom. And so I think those are some good principles. Um, even though he's not talking about a church, but I think those things can help guide us in our giving practically. So let me wrap it up. In conclusion, there is a great danger in having wealth or even desiring wealth. It can captivate our hearts. It can draw us away from God. There's a way to help guide our hearts away from loving money. We can develop a heart of giving by reminding ourselves that all that we have is not ours. It is a gift from God that he has given us to invest in his kingdom. We are only stewards of it. We can also reflect on what God has given us in his son, in Christ. Maybe the, that may be the greatest motivator to biblical giving, right? To think about what God has done for us through Christ. This can help us to give generously and joyfully. And finally, giving to the local church is necessary. We can invest in eternity. We are taught by the local church. The local church is important, and the local church is wise. As part of our, as part of our church covenant, it reads, we give cheerfully, regularly, and generously to the support of the church. Now, that's not just so that we get a bunch of money for members. That's biblical. It's so that our hearts don't fall into the trap of loving money and so that the church can fulfill its primary purpose to advance the kingdom of God and to glorify God in this world. So church family, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to give. To give for the benefit of your own heart and to give to the glory of God. We will be held accountable to God for the money that he has entrusted to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word, God. 
We're thankful for all the blessings that you have given us in Christ. God, as we close out this series on church matters, um, I pray that we are encouraged by it, um, that we see the value of the local church, that we develop a great love for our local church, God, and that you use our church, First Baptist Thibodeau, to advance the gospel, not only in Thibodeau, but throughout the whole world. Help us to be faithful in our giving, God, to be generous as Christians, and to seek to honor you with all of our finances. We ask all this in Christ's name, the only name we can come. Amen.